I'm more excited about this interview than any <laughs> any opera interview I've done in 30 years because <laughs> this is my language. Welcome to the Fish Nerds Fishing Podcast, the show that's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Paul Groves, international opera singer, and here are the nerds! Hello, Dave, I'm Clay. <laughs> I know. Shall we go to the opera? Oh, let's go to the opera. Oh, shall we? We shan't. <laughs> we went, I don't believe it, but a couple of fish nerds went to the opera. No, not only did we go to the opera, Dave, <laughs> but we got invited to go to the opera. <laughs> um, yeah, it was really fabulous. Uh, we were yeah. down at what, w- what? What did you know about the opera? What I knew, uh, all I knew was what Bugs Bunny has taught me. Uh, Kill the wabbit! Kill, kill the wabbit. wabbit! That's all I know too. <laughs> but so now I know happened? a lot more. Yeah. So how did we get up at the opera, Dave? Uh, so it all happened when we did this WGBH gig, and in the audience, um, this guy Sam, who is also the promoter at the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Right. We've been discovered, Dave. <laughs> we were discovered. And um, apparently Sam, I mean, Sam is obviously excellent at his job. And, the best. Uh, <laughs> best in the business. There is no better. <laughs> and making connections left and right, left and right. And uh, he knew he had a singer coming in that was an avid angler. And he went, oh, wait a minute. I know some people who are like that. I'm going to call the fish nerds. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sam. So uh, we get the call and they said, hey, you know, would you guys be interested in talking to uh, a guest opera singer that's coming in down right. here? And and what did we say? Uh, sure. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. We're there. Yeah. And we and then we hung the phone up and went, why is he calling us? <laughs> <laughs> is this a trap? This- uh, something's crazy happening. <laughs> <laughs> But um, so we were invited because Paul Groves was coming into town. Now, Groves. My, my long lost uncle, Paul. <laughs> I love that guy. Well, we both love this guy because talk about a fish nerd. Talk about a guy who, who lives and breathes fishing. Um, he even said early on that uh, he, he did his singing thing to kind of support his fishing habit, which he is did. awesome. He did. And so, so we got invited to go the, to the orchestra, uh, to the Boston Symphony. They even let my wife come. Yeah, they did. Yeah, you and Kristen had a night out. I, I actually did not want to do the third wheel thing. No, no. So we booked a hotel in Boston and did the whole thing. Yeah, I, I decided not to chum up, chum up to you guys in the hotel yeah, room. It was a big bed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, but you got, you got free tickets to go. And before the show... No, no, Dave. No, screw you and your free tickets. We earned those tickets. <laughs> yeah. Those are earned. Earned tickets. So we earned yeah. tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, but before the show, we were told to show up to the stage door. And meet them, uh, and we were going to do the interview in the, his dressing room. Mm-hmm. And security stopped us dead in our tracks. They did. They were like, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. You know. where, are you, where, where do you think you're going? And you, and you said, do you know who I am? <laughs> do you know who I am? <laughs> I'm going to go on TripAdvisor, and I'm going to leave you a nasty review. <laughs> Wait till you read my Reddit post. Oh, yeah. 
Dear God. <laughs> but uh, no, we were invited backstage and we went up to this really nice dressing room. With a, was a Steinway computer, a computer, <laughs> Steinway piano in it. Yes, yeah. Steinway piano that had you know multi hundreds of thousands of dollars of musical you know instrument there. Yep. And uh, of course, you know, as soon as we get there, we're like, oh, you know, what what kind of goofy things can we do to get pictures of it? So, um, yeah. so anyway, we we set up, and then uh, Paul came in, and what a gracious, wonderful guy. Well, look, he came in. You weren't done setting the, the electronics up yet, which is unfortunate. It is, totally. Because he immediately sat down at the piano, and he's one of those musicians that is at a level of musicianship that you and I dream about. Yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable. How he sits down, he puts his hands on the keys, and then magically, beautiful noise comes out of the piano. And he was like playing, playing like Billy Joel songs or something, but singing them better than Billy Joel. Oh, no, he was playing Journey is what Journey. he was playing. Okay, singing better than Journey. I don't know who sings for Journey. Yeah, so, it was, it was yeah. unbelievable how so he was doing Journey. It was really good. I think it was – it wasn't Don't Stop Believing, but it was um, – It's the only Journey song I know. <laughs> I know, but it, it wasn't that. It was another one that I can't remember. But it was crazy good, and I really wish I had the audio. I'm, I'm like frantically trying to get the audio working, and it just didn't boot up in time. But, I know. We're, we're learning important audio lessons, which is have a second recorder recording just ambient noise all the time. Yeah. That because would we would have cool. got such beautiful sounds. Yeah. So anyway, so he gets we, – we finally get set up, and then uh, we have this conversation. So, Paul, like I said, this is going to be weird because you'll be talking more about fish than, than your day gig. But we had some questions about how the two worlds combine, okay? So the question is, what about your experience as a professional tenor – Makes you a better fisherman. Uh, I guess because I'm 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 up for anything. You know, I've I've been traveling the world for thirty years, and um, I take my chances whenever I can to enjoy myself. So in fishing, you, I kind of do the same thing. You know, whenever it's good weather, no matter what's going on in my life or how busy I am, I go fishing. <laughs> Is there anything about being a fisherman that helps you in your professional job as a tenor? Well, it certainly does because um, for years. When I was singing at the Metropolitan Opera, if I had a couple of days free, I would fly to Louisiana and go out on my boat about 120 miles out in the Gulf of Mexico. And no matter what was going on stress-wise in my life, for that day, and it took a complete day to get out there, fish, and then get back. You know, I'd leave at 5 in the morning, get back at 10 o'clock at night. I certainly didn't think about anything except fishing and fish. I didn't think about my job, my career, any problems in my life, anything it has always been a complete, a complete escape for me. No matter what's going on in my life, when I'm there, I only think about fishing and catching. So, when when you're out on your boat, are you playing music? At oh all, yes, or is it always. Dead? So, what kind of music are you playing when you want to get the big ones? What are you playing out there? Uh, tuna love Led Zeppelin. I, I have to might. tell you, I thought they might. I always, <laughs> if I'm chumming for tuna, or they love Led Zeppelin. Wahoo, I catch a lot of uh, trolling when we're listening to Journey. Yeah. That's a now, good would you one. think for Tuna it would be like the immigrant song, be like the big one? Yeah, yeah. Like that. Come from a land with the ice and snow. Yes, yeah, yeah, to me that would be the – that's what I would play too. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a lot of ice and snow in the Gulf of Mexico, but uh, yeah. But no, they really – I don't know why. Usually I, we catch Tuna with uh, Led Zeppelin though. That's kind of funny.
the um, we had a question about opera and and this is where you can get really nerdy about the opera side. So in your opinion, what opera composers, styles and all would be a best combination and we feel this is probably a story deep uh, near and dear to your heart, the BP oil spill. So <laughs> if you had to write know. an opera about the BP oil spill. Well, first of all, how how did it affect the folks you know down there? Uh well, I mean, it, it was tough because no one could fish for a while, but it really didn't affect the fishing at all. Mm. It really didn't. And I fished during it. I, I went out, and I, the only time I ever saw oil, I saw dispersed oil, was when I drove through a, a part of the Gulf of Mexico that was actually closed off for fishing at the time. Now, they got extremely lucky. In the month afterwards, we didn't have any hurricanes, and also we had high highs settled over the Gulf of Mexico so it was not never very wavy it was never rough it was we had very few storms so they were able to clean it up much more quickly Mm. but I I I never saw a lot of destruction that you know they were predicting I really didn't and the the fishing certainly didn't suffer at all okay so real straightforward so so what would be a straightforward composer uh, I don't know. It couldn't be Wagner. You know, it, uh, Wagner would be Hurricane Katrina. I oh, think. That's yes. what I would have said. <laughs> yeah. So it would, you know, in my opinion, it would have to be, I don't know, someone like uh, Debussy maybe. calm than we were led to believe it was yeah. I mean it was it's hard it's always a horrible thing but um, you know it was coming out 5,000 feet underwater and you know not a whole lot lives down there and it was also sweet crude which is completely different kind of oil than the Exxon Valdez oil yeah. and so it kind of dispersed on underwater most of it so wow. I mean it, it looked horrible on TV of course you know I was exactly. in Europe and and looking at this, you know, you know, seeing you know every time I'd switch on CNN in Europe and seeing this oil pour out, you know, to the place that you know I hold really dear. Actually, two weeks before the rig exploded, I caught yellowfin tuna at that rig. Oh, <laughs> two weeks before it exploded, and there was someone fishing that night. It's on video. Oh no! Someone was fishing that night because we fish at. Uh, in the really deep floating rigs, we fish at nighttime with jigs a lot for yellowfin. And someone was there that night, and luckily, they were you know right next to the rig. One of the guys on the boat used to work on an oil rig, and he recognized the, the alarm that means imminent explosion. And they took off. Oh, wow. He was like, we got to go, you know, and, and there's a video of it. And they're That's driving crazy. away, and when they got about four miles away, the rig exploded. So do the rigs provide, like, habitat and structure when you're fishing? Is that why you go near them? Or is it yes, yes. They're, they're all, they're basically giant coral reefs because they put them in the water and then they're there for, you know, some of them have been there for 40 years. Oh, so all kinds of stuff grows on them. Yeah, and everything, atta- you know, and all the smaller fish come and the bait fish come and therefore the bigger fish come. So it's just a, because we don't have a lot, we don't, well, we have a couple of big reefs out in the Gulf of Mexico, but they're far, far from land. And we have thousands of oil rigs. I mean, 
incredible amounts. And, you know, once they put them there, they're, it's like an aquarium down there. You know, I've been scuba diving around them, and they're just thousands of fish That's circling. Cool. One thing you can tell a non-angling opera fan that will surprise them about angling. So you got an opera fan, you want to tell them about fishing. fishing. What's going to shock them? What are they going to? What, are they, what should they know? Uh, well, the kind of fishing I do is more like catching, mostly. That you know, catching. I, yeah. In Louisiana, we have lots of fish, so I think most people that aren't angling fans and haven't done a lot of fishing assume that it's a lot of sitting around and waiting. And I also enjoy that, too, because I get a chance to visit with my friends and hang out and have a couple beers and talk about life and family and things like that. But I'm definitely more of the hunter-gatherer fisherman. You know, I like to go, and I go where I know the fish are, even if I have to go further. So it's really, uh, and it, especially if you go deep-sea fishing, it's, it's, it's more of a sport than it is, you know, just sitting around waiting for something to come by and bite. Right, some action behind yeah, it. Yeah, a lot, because I've taken, you know, many, many singers and many of my friends that have never been on a boat, I've taken them fishing. And they're always shocked about, you know, what it actually takes to reel in a fish. And even a, you know, a large redfish on small gear and stuff, they're, they're always stunned about, you know, the effort it actually takes. And then how delicious they are. Yeah, oh yes. Oh yeah, I cook, I make sushi out of everything, and... We have sushi parties in my neighborhood. So if we reverse that question and we and you want to tell a fisherman something great about opera, what would surprise a fisherman who doesn't know anything about opera about, about opera? I think just the sound of the human voice because of you know and like I was just saying earlier in in the opera world, we have no amplification. It's just the basic sound of the voice. Of course, we're loud because we have to sing over 100 people in the orchestra and sometimes you know, 200 people in the chorus. But it's, it's just the impact of the natural human voice. And I've lots of my fishing uh, charter captain friends in, in Venice, Louisiana, and all around New Orleans, have, I've get, I give them free tickets to come to the opera when I sing with the New Orleans Opera, the symphony, and they come and they all enjoy it. You know, and it, and it does make a difference that they know somebody on stage that's performing also. And they can say, God, I've seen you do some really stupid stuff with your boat. And there you are up there, you know, singing opera aria. Uh, <laughs> remember when you dropped your boat off the trailer? Yes, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> 
for years, uh, before I had children, surely, I supported my fishing habit by singing. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it it can get expensive, you know, especially if you're going a long way in a big boat. But, um, yeah, I've... I, I, I'm more excited about this interview than any any opera interview I've done in 30 years because <laughs> this is my language. I grew up on the bayou. You know, I grew up in a, a small child with a five and a half horsepower Johnson and a 11 foot game fisher John boat. You know, going out in in the bayou fishing. So this is my life. That's opera That's is awesome. just something I do for a living. <laughs> right. Yeah. So in the bayou, I'm always fascinated how different names of fish. So like down there you have bowfin, but you call them something else. Gar? Well, there's gar, but like shoepike or something? Shoepeak. Shoepeak. Yeah, shoe peak. Yeah. It's also called a grinnel. For a grinnel, thing. too. Yeah, it, it looks a, a prehistoric fish. Yeah. And always when we were bass fishing, when I was a, a kid bass fishing in, in the marshes, every once in a while you'd get one of these shoe pick on, and they're huge. And, you know, <laughs> and they're and you'd aggressive, think, too. I have, the, I have the state record bass, you know, and you get it up to the boat, and you know, oh, God. <laughs> I think it's so funny how people's attitudes change because I've done the same thing and I pull it and it's like, oh, it's a carp. Oh, yeah, just mail it in. But it's like that fight a second ago was like the biggest right. and most exciting thing ever. I know. And as a child, when I was in, uh, I guess, early teens or so, my I have two buddies that I'm still really good friends with and we go still go fishing all the mm-hmm. time together. And they live in New Orleans, two brothers. And we went out uh, alligator gar fishing and we actually <laughs> sold the meat to the local fish markets. Wow. And a lot of these were, you know, they're giant. And they're 100 pounds, you know, yeah. and they're larger than, they were bigger than we are. Yeah. Fortunately, they look hard, you know, they look really vicious. They look like an alligator with no legs. Yeah. But they're really wimps. Oh. I mean, you could reel them in with like 20 pound, you know, mono or something. Really? They, they yeah, just they're quit. just, they just quit. They're not used to things, you know, coming after them, just like sharks aren't used to it either. So oh, we've, we've caught sharks and they weren't that wimpy, the mako we caught. But the makos aren't wimpy. No. We, we, we yeah. were fishing down in Lafitte and the captain of the boat we were on wouldn't let us bring a gar on the boat because they stink it up. But then he recommended if we do keep one to make gar balls. Is that something you've eaten? Yes. Yeah. They're not good. No. No. <laughs> Any kind of meat that you have to do that much to to make it taste good is, is not worth keeping. It really isn't. All the jacks in the Gulf of Mexico, I know. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking. My first thought, I think, so I was thinking Jack Revolves. That's yeah. my first instinct, but. We have lots of the, God, yeah. those things piss me off. Yeah, man. how come? They're really good for bait. <laughs> because they're incredible fighters, and you think you have something fantastic, you know. And every, everything that makes me angry, you know, is something that you think it's great, and you get it to the boat and think, oh, God. Yeah, you know, there, there we go. I there. can't eat it. <laughs> I, we, have, uh, we have fans who have eaten Jack Raval. Really? And say good things about him. Yeah. Oh, there's no way. Yeah. You would have to, oh, we'll send no you, We'll send you a recipe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that gets us, one of our questions was, what is your favorite bait? So, like, if, if you had one bait you had to go with, you know, you only had one to take out, what would it be? And artificials too. So, like, if you're in, you know, for deep deep sea or, or for inland fishing. I guess the combination would be if you had one type of fishing to do that day, 
Like you only had time to go do one type of fishing, so your favorite kind, and then what would you be your favorite bait or tackle? It, well, it'd probably be anything live. Because mm. anything live, because we use a lot of live shrimp for for inland fishing, yeah. for the speckled trout, which I think up here you call weak fish yeah, or something. exactly. And we use a lot for that and redfish and all those fish. You know, if I have to go, if there's no artificial bait or if the fish are just on fire, I mean, if there's no live bait or the fish are just on fire, then I'll, I'll fish artificial. Yeah. And usually I use anything that looks like a shrimp, like a Berkeley gulp shrimp. Are now they have DOA and there's another really good one called a voodoo shrimp that it's artificial and it looks exactly like a live shrimp and that seems to work really well. Voodoo shrimp. <laughs> Offshore, it, it just depends on you know. Used to we could troll for tuna, but you can't really. They don't want bite trolling anymore most of the year. You, you we either have to chum for them, and the funny thing about it is, the best chum for tuna and we used to use. What you call Menhaden or Manhaden. yeah or bunker bunker yeah yeah we used to and you can still use those and they used to be lot great chunk bait a long time ago but not anymore the best thing is actually to catch a smaller tuna or some or a bonita or a jack or something with red meat and use that and a lot of times they it, you can't even leave the skin on it it just has to be a chunk of tuna. <laughs> so we catch a black fin or a small yellow fin, and we cut that up, and then we catch the bigger yellow fin with that. Yeah, so you're like making sushi for these tuna. <laughs> yeah, you are. I mean, it's beautiful meat. You think, God, I could take that home. But you, you actually catch bigger fish with that fish. Wow. Have you uh, have you seen Wicked Tuna, that show? On oh, it? yeah, I've seen every one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I know all the characters and everything. Well, yeah. we run into some of the people every once in a while. You and, do? Yeah, and they all know each other. So it, it's the kind of thing where they say, oh, yeah, that guy, he's he's a drug addict, and that's you know nobody yeah. likes that guy. And they tell us all the backstory stuff. Yeah, there's one from New Hampshire, though. Uh, well, I know. Yeah, yeah. That, rich, that, that rich kid from Rye. <laughs> yeah, the rich yeah. kid from New Yeah, that's yeah. him. Hey, he's entertaining. <laughs> yes. It's, it's he's entertainment. From, he's just down the street from Dave's house. Yeah, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I'm, entertainment. It is. Yeah. It is very good. And there, it's funny, though, out there that there's the, the guy that does tuna.com. He, he seems to do things a little differently than all the other guys, you know. He, he tries new techniques and new kind of stuff, and... Where the old guy, Marciano or whatever, and, yeah. and he won last year or something, he just tries the same thing over and over and over. And sometimes that works. Who was the guy who was mean to me? One of them was rude to me. at a, We were at a fishing expo, and he yeah. came up to me. And I can't remember who a, it was. Do you know who I am? Attitude. And I'm like, no. What did he look like? Uh, bald guy, short, stocky, grouchy. Which is pretty much Smell all of like them. like cheap cigarettes and bad cologne. <laughs> oh, do you have a voice like that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's the guy. He's, yeah. oh, what's his name? He's a dick. He got, <laughs> he got fired on the show. You Good. Know, I, I don't know if any of this show that's is what actually. Does he know who I am? I don't know if the show is, I'm sure the show is scripted, of course. Of course you know, I, I don't really believe any of this. But he got fired by the Tuna.com guy the first year. Oh, that's what, yeah. he deserved it. You probably didn't yeah. put in a good word for him. That's, that's right. What he didn't know who we Paul. were. Paul. Paul Hebert, Hebert yes. or something. Oh, that's yeah. it. Yeah. That's it. That's that right. is. He still he, goes to the expos. Yeah, he was at yeah. an expo, and that's mm -hmm. why. Yeah. yeah. He never. He hasn't ever done well. It's okay. Ah, okay. Yeah. He's bitter. I hope he doesn't listen to our show. <laughs> Lots of charter captains are dicks. Though. They all are. They and are. We like them. They're Some not them all are... dicks. Because no. you know, I had a, I had a, you know, deep sea fish. I was in between marriages, and I had a, you know, and for therapy, I went fishing a lot. Mm -hmm. So I would come in, and they all knew I was an opera singer, and I'd show up at the dock, and. 
And, you know, sometimes I'd, I'd be in Europe for two months and I'd show up at the dock and walk over to one of these guys and I'd say, look, I've been gone for two months and I got these people I'm taking out tomorrow. But, you know, they knew I wasn't a charter captain. And I said, can you give me some pointers? And most of them just wouldn't give me the time of day. They were like, no. <laughs> they said, if you want to hire me, I'll tell you where to go, but I'm not telling you where to go. And I said, okay, fine. So I'd be out there and every once in a while I'd troll around a a rig or something and just tons of wahoo and tons of, you know, fish and I'd see them pass by and I didn't pick up my radio and radio them. Yeah. Now there were two guys. One is a really famous. He's probably one of our most famous captains called Peace Marvell. And he's been in all the fishing magazines and everything. That's and, a great name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a great guy and he's really character, this guy. And he's still fishing down there. He's been for 30 years or so. And he would tell me, he and this another one, Eddie Berger is his name, and he's one of my good friends, and he's a fantastic fisherman. And those two guys would always, you know, they'd say, well, Paul, what you need to do is, you know, just follow me out, and they were always really nice to me. And I can guarantee you, every time, you know, I was catching fish or anything going on, I would call them and say, hey, guys, come over here. And we've remained friends mm. all these years for 25 years. There's not a lot of population on the coast, so there's plenty of places to go fish by yourself, and there's there's not that much pressure for fishing, even offshore. So it's it's not a question of this is my secret spot and I don't want to give it out because it doesn't matter. There, there's plenty of places to go to catch fish. You know, there are no secret spots. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, well speaking of secret spots, you've got a 300-pound <laughs> marlin. Is that what I read? Yeah, three. It was like three fifty this summer. Three hundred. Yeah. So you corrected me. Three hundred fifty pounds. <laughs> I this right. <laughs> sure, share those with us. We'll put them up on our on our uh, on our website. But can you tell us the story of that fish? Yeah, we caught. Uh, I went out with a friend that has a fifty foot Viking this summer, and he's been actually he and his father kind of taught my friend and myself how to fish for deep sea fish because our pa- our fathers didn't didn't deep sea fish so as we got older we got bigger and bigger boats and started going further and further out well his dad was always the head of the fishing club and they they got bigger and bigger boats they have a construction company that did well and so we would always call james james palma is his name and james and his dad and ask them where to go and what to, techniques to use and things like that so now he has a 50-foot Viking, and his dad's still fishing. His dad's 80 years old. <laughs> so he called me this summer, and he said, Hey, Paul, he said, Look, uh, do you have any time off this summer? Because uh, I think this might be my dad's last summer to go. Because they, they leave on Thursday afternoon, and they, they go you know, 150 miles out or so, and they stay until Sunday, come back at Sunday afternoon. Just sleeping on the boat? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it had three bedrooms. It's oh, a, it's a 50-foot boat, right? Yeah, so, it's yeah. a nice, really nice boat. So he said, it might be my dad's last trip, you know, and my dad something said, why, why don't we invite Paul, you know, if it's going to be my last trip. So anyway, so I went, and it was beautiful weather the whole time, and we got out. First I caught a, a like, 80-pound Nassau grouper, because we bought him fish first, and we caught lots of stuff. And then we, 
we went over to a really famous rig out there. It's one of the, the oldest uh, semi-submersible rigs. It's on 4,000 feet of water. It's called the Auger. And it was always something when we were kids, we were always trying to get a boat because it's 130 statute miles away from the land. So we were always thinking, God, if we could just get out there. And it was all, it was, yeah, it was always too far away though, you know. <laughs> so anyway, we were out there fishing and we caught tuna all night long. And the next morning, you know, we had a, a sleep for a few hours. And the next morning, uh, James says, all right, you know, let's start trolling around. It's the same rig where we caught tuna the night before. So we just started trolling around it. Uh, there were four other guys, and including James' dad, and they were inside eating breakfast. So I'm standing back there, and we're trolling around. You know, he's got these giant, you know, 80 wides and, you know, the huge marlin lures. And I'm thinking, God, you know, we were just here all night. What are the chances there's a marlin, you know? And about that time, you know, one of the outriggers went off and just started screaming out. So James is up in the flybridge driving, and I'm and I clear all the and just going out and I clear all the lines by myself and I put everything down. And I get in the chair and I strap in and everything and and then one of the guys comes out and goes, "What's going on?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm by myself and I'm like, "I got a marlin," and he was like, "Really? Yeah." So you know, I fought it for about an hour or so and got it to the side and we took some great pictures and released it and we went around again, I guess two more times and we got another one. And James's dad, the 80-year-old man who's loved this his whole life, reeled in. It was about bigger than mine. It was over 400-pound no. blue. Yeah. Gosh. Oh, my gosh. And he reeled it in with a little bit of help from us, of course. That's but we got it guy. in, so we we tagged both of those marlin, and then we went back in and caught a lot more fish. And it was an incredible trip the weekend. And it was a good way for his father you know, to say, okay, this is... Because it's tough. It you know? is tough. Well, you know, though, with a fisherman, last cast, right, doesn't always mean last cast. Yeah. He'll go out again. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he probably honestly, will. Because like, he was saying, you know, he, they were saying, oh, this is, you know, we, we cheered and everything. This is my last trip. We get back to the dock and we're cleaning fish and everything. And he goes, I don't know. I might be okay for next yeah, summer. Of course he will. <laughs> <laughs> So the name of this quiz, is it a fish or is it an instrument? So we're going to test your fish knowledge and your knowledge of music. And so... Okay, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to see which, which one you know better. <laughs> Boo-bam. 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 Fish or a musical instrument? I think it's a fish. Musical instrument. They're like the octobons that... Um, Neil Peart and all them used in the... Oh, so, oh, it's a Rush reference. Okay, yeah, exactly. Great. And they were actually made out of bamboo, and that's a derivative of that name, Boo-Bam. Boo-Bam. Wow, okay. <laughs> I thought it was some Australian fish right. or something. So, so yeah. far, we're... Yeah, I know, it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not something we use in opera very often. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> I've never actually played a Boo-Bam yeah. before. <laughs> I had a girlfriend named Boo Boo. We all did. We, yeah. don't, we don't talk about that in front of. She uh, didn't know I called her that. But. <laughs> she might have known. A burbot. Burbot. Yes. Yeah. That is uh, very close to a turbot. No. Uh, I, I'm guessing it's a fish. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. It's a look a prehistoric looking fish. Well, freshwater the, cod. Yeah. They're yeah. the only freshwater cod in the northern hemisphere and you only catch them in glacial frozen lakes. Wow. Uh, so Not a lot of winter. those in, in Louisiana. No, yeah. no, but they're delicious. Yeah. Tastes like lobster. Hey, I fished a lot in my first wife was Swedish and I fished a lot in Scandinavia. But I'd never caught one of these. See, I caught a lot of of aborra, which is in Sweden is bass. Which is more like a, I think more like a walleye, I guess, kind of oh, here. Okay. Yeah, and and a lot of yedda, which is a pike, northern pike. Only when you catch when you catch them, you have to it's build them yourself, like the IKEA pike. Yes, you, you, you do. You get a box of pieces, and that's and scales, the, and that's what those. That's that sounds like it's something. Doesn't it? Yeah, if yeah. I had a little umlaut over that U there, yeah. it would be a blue butt. It is a chaise lounge. All right, Rebeck. Rebeck is, uh, wow, where do you come up with these? <laughs> I thought this would be easy. No, uh, that's a fish. He's a clinster, Wow. <laughs> that's precursor to a violin. Yeah. Not a lot of those in opera either. Yeah. But you're learning new things. I am. I'm sure I remember these. <laughs> Gernard. Fish. I'm just guessing fish. fish. for sure, sea yeah. Robins. Sea robins. Sea robins. Oh, we call them sea robins. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's what everyone calls them. <laughs> what, what, why do they call them a sea Because then on. you would know the answer. Well, I know. <laughs> oh, what language? Is this in Czech or something? Yeah. <laughs> Is it, yeah. yeah. No, they're, they're, yeah, they're actually called grenards. Like, yeah, we uh, catch these quite a bit. Uh, those are delicious, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they, they make sounds, right, when you catch them? Don't they grunt? Most fish do. Yeah, they, they make all yeah. sorts of noise. The best bait fish always grunt, yeah. so... I like the ones that scream. Ow, 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 ow. <laughs> Get this hook out. Definitely a fish. Escolar. Yes. Yeah, I love these fish. Really? Why, why so? Uh, they're great sushi. They're really white, white meat, and they're, they're fantastic sushi. It's almost like a Chilean sea bass kind of thing. Actually, I think this is a Chilean sea bass, isn't it? No, those are... Um, t- what do they call Patagonian it? toothfish. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is why Probably. they named it Chilean sea bass. Yeah, right. That doesn't sound very good. I know, a toothfish, yeah. So. It's just like we catch a lot of sheephead and sheep's head. Yep. Yeah, which, you caught one of those. I and, did. Yeah, we catch tons. On last Sunday, I caught probably 42 of them. <sighs> I, and, I want to catch 42. <laughs> and they're, some of them are giant. Monster, you know? delicious, too. Don't they have, like, human yeah, teeth? Yeah, they have teeth, like, because <laughs> they... they shell crackers. Yeah. yeah, and they, really, the teeth are hilarious looking. But in, on menus now, they don't call them sheephead or sheep's head. They call them bay snapper. Yes. Uh, yes. Well, we saw, I was in Virginia Beach last week, and they don't call striped bass striped bass at restaurants. They call them rockfish. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I, I know. so it's, it's tricky. I know, it's kind of funny, but I think, ooh, bay snapper. It's like, what the hell's a bay snapper? Is that a, a gray snapper, a mangrove? And if you really want to test the restaurant, ask the waiter and see. They don't know. <laughs> they usually no. don't. No. They Although more and more, they're finding that patrons want to know more about the fish. And people who are aware of fish and, and all that really are asking the questions. They're having to school the waiters and servers yeah. and that. We have one rest, new restaurant now in New Orleans called Pesh. You know, it has to be a, have to have a fridge name, of course. But it's all local fish. It's a, a fantastic restaurant. And they only use local fish. And there's so many good ones. Yeah, they are. Definitely Sander. a fish. I've had lots of those. It's a perch pike. Yeah. 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 It's like a walleye. Yeah. 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 The Zander is the, that's the German name. Yeah. Yeah. Perch pike. I've had tons of those. I've never seen one. There's a great rest, fish restaurant outside of Salzburg, Austria, which I spent 13 summers there. 
And they served us. It's fantastic. Dave, we need to travel the world now. <laughs> no, we need no. to get jobs as opera singers, and then we can fund our Fish Nerds show. Oh. Damra. I, I think that's a musical instrument. It is the Russian loop. Yes. There you go. Domra. Domra. Jelani Druk. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds, sounds Klingonish to me. It does. <laughs> that actually means my best friend in Russian. Does it? Yes. Oh, Drugi. I remember from Clockwork Orange, they had all that Russian slang and that. Yeah. Wamola. That's got to be a fish. I mean. I think it's a hula hoop. No. <laughs> it's a bass instrument. The band Primus, that's one of the main things they use. It's a whammy bar, and it's got one string, and you play it with a, with a stick, and it makes those funky... Oh, it, you know, the, they, they have the uh, theme song for South Park. Yes, they and do. They use this. That's yeah. that sound. Yeah. Wamola. Yeah. Cool. Who knew? Who, I, Wamola. You, apparently you knew. <laughs> <laughs> Dizzy. D-I-Z-I. I'm guessing a fish. I'm guessing a fish. Another. It's a flute. <laughs> now, not, only is it, not only is it a flute, but it's a Chinese flute used in folk music as well as Chinese opera. I did a Chinese opera at the Met. <laughs> How yeah. are we supposed to believe you? <laughs> you, don't, you don't know anything. I don't play this. <laughs> and plus, we were singing in English. <laughs> All right, so how many first languages do you sing in? Yeah. Oh, God. I've, I've done tons. I mean, uh, I don't know. Probably eight or nine different languages. And do you have to know what you're singing to do it yeah, right? Well, Does it help you? Yeah. But, you know, when you get to languages like Polish, mm-hmm. you know, I don't speak Polish. Uh, you find someone that speaks Polish and you have a Polish coach and, you know, you, you do the best you can. But, uh, you know, I've done Czech, I've done Polish, I've done lots of Russian operas. And, you know, of course, all the German, French, Spanish you know, Italian, all those things. That's cool. But it's kind of funny to, you know, I I was doing a a Czech opera in Frankfurt four years ago, and there was one guy from, that was Czech in the cast, and he had a very small role. And the rest of us were just making up a language. That's really funny. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there I was in the love scene with the soprano, and we're both singing in this just nonsense, it just... You know, I knew what the words meant, but unless you really live the words, because I can speak, you know, the Romance languages and stuff in German, but in in that, you know, it's just, it it gets to be silly after a while. (laughs) In Sweden. Here's the last one. Shanka. Shanka. With a K-H-A. That's definitely a instrument. A conch shell in, I think, uh, like Indonesia or something like that. But look, they make them all nice. And, and it goes... <laughs> that's it. sound like Chewbacca. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> all right, we're going to call you a winner. Uh, oh, please. I got some of them. I've I've eaten state uh, Louisiana and all, some golf records we've huh? eaten and didn't know and then we caught uh, eight or nine years ago we were hundred miles out or so and and we caught two of these giant fish that looked like pompano but they were about twenty five pounds so and you know ten minutes apart so we took some good pictures and let them go and we had no idea what they were and I kept saying it looks like a pompano but you know it's way too big and it had an extra fin on it. 
Yeah. So we threw them away, and we you know put them back in, and we got back in, and they were African pompano. And at the time, the Gulf record for an African pompano, the Gulf record, not the Atlantic record, was like fourteen pounds. And these uh, were about 25. You crushed it? Had yeah. no idea. And the state record was 12. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You know, the reason is that they're very rare. We never, I've never caught another one and hadn't caught one before. So. Yeah. We have a friend who caught a, a triggerfish off of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is way outside their own habitat. So he got the state record because no one's ever seen one there before. Yeah, so. no. Well, with the warming waters, you know, we're getting stranger and stranger fish. Yeah. So. Yeah, we're getting black sea bass up here, which we never had before. And they're starting to move up. Yeah. Um, and I fished a lot in California, too. And then mm-hmm. for a couple of years there during the El Nino, we went out to Long Fentuna, which is albacore tuna fishing. Mm. And we caught some striped marlin, which they never have. You know, <laughs> the water was warm enough for that, which is pretty odd. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you never know. You never know. They get Fish get lost, too. They do. <laughs> I was looking at Louisiana fishing regulations. And first of all, have you ever fished with a yo-yo? No. Mm. Uh, but you know what it is. Yeah. I never fished with it. Could you tell our listeners what it is? (laughs) Not really. (laughs) (laughs) But it's illegal. Yeah. Well, no, apparently you can have no more than 50 (laughs) yo-yos for one person. So you can have 50 yo-yos if you want. That's a lot of yo-yos. That is a lot of yo-yos. Well, as you know, the, the fishing regulations change every year. I mean, what we're, what we're really fighting now is the, in Louisiana, the, the, the big concern are the red snapper regulations. Oh, how so? Because we have the perfect estuary and perfect environment for a red snapper. We have the right water, you know, the Mississippi River coming out. We have the right water depth. We have all these oil rigs, which are structured. And it's Gulf regulated. It's not state regulated. Oh. Is it because of how far out you're going? No, you don't have to go very far out. And in, in the winter, you don't have to go very far at all because they come up to 50 feet deep or so. But the problem is it's Gulf regulated. So in Louisiana, we have an environment for the red snapper, which is we have incredible numbers of these fish. And they're very aggressive compared to all the other snapper and grouper. Red snapper, very aggressive. Hmm. So And they, they multiply faster than any other bottom fish out there or reef fish. And if and we don't have, like I said before, we don't have the population of, of fishermen. You know, the, we have very few people along the coast. Like my brother always said, along the coast in Louisiana, we have shrimpers and future shrimpers. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But in Florida, there's a huge population of people on the coast and lots of fishermen. In Texas, the same thing. And they don't have the same environment, the same amount of oil rigs and reefs that we do. So... They have wiped out the population of their red snapper, and we're being regulated by Florida and Texas federally. Mm. So now there's so many red snapper that you can't catch anything else. So if it's not the red snapper season, we go out, and there's so many of these fish that you can't target any other fish because they're so aggressive. But you can't keep wow. them. No, and you can't keep so them. tough. And and even if you can, last year we had a nine-day season and we could keep two fish each, which is fine, but still that doesn't help the fact that there's so many of these fish. Yeah, and you see that as a common problem everywhere is when when things are federally regulated. Yeah. That, you know, they make the law based on the region region rather than what's actually happening. And, you know, the Gulf of Mexico is a large area, and, you know, we just happen to have a place where, you know, these, these fish really thrive. So... 
there's there's been there've been a lot of bills before Congress and you know trying to make this you know the the inland reef out to a certain distance to, to have it state regulated, which would really help because we in the inland fish, the redfish and the speckled trout and the flounder and all that, it's state regulated, and we've done really well. Mm. You know that we have a lot of we have a lot of regulations, but still people really adhere to the the rules. They do, and in local fishing game, every state I've been in really understand their local waters and they have the scientists out there and so they really do a good job of deciding what's appropriate you know and for the most part they get it wrong sometimes but yeah they're getting better and better but this hopefully this will change because it's it's really a problem now and it's also a problem for recreational fishermen because i've been out fishing for other fish when the red snapper season is closed and i look over and a commercial fisherman is just hauling them in doesn't matter what size just one after the other thousands of them, and I'm sitting there as a recreational fisherman not able to keep one. Right, and recreational guys aren't the ones wiping out the fish. No, not if you can keep two each. Right, Right. yeah, (laughs) and and even so, I mean, there's no way recreation is going to, I my personally... Well, if you're using 50 yo-yos, you could... (laughs) 50 yo-yos. Well, my question was a can. So there's a definition in your regs that says a can is a metal container, not more than 55 gallons, uh, which is set for the purpose of taking fish. Have you ever used a can to catch a fish? No, not on purpose. <laughs> I've used a beer can before. Yeah. You know, that helps. That does help. It does help catch fish. Okay, well, I, yeah, I didn't know that. What about a slat trap? You know what a slat trap is? Uh, no. Yeah, check this out. It's any device used solely for the capture of catfish. Yeah, I, they almost look like a... I, I, know, I don't think we called them that, but they're almost like a... Uh, it looks like a lobster trap. Yeah, yeah they look yeah. big. And yeah, they're just them, for catfish. Yeah. Hmm. And we have a lot of catfish, too. Yeah, you do. But most people put out lines for catfish. You know, they put out jugs and then, you uh, know. Trot lines, too, right? Yeah, yeah they do that. But um, more more recently, they've figured out that they can put out just jugs with a leader coming off of it and leave it for two or three hours at dark and then come back at 10 o'clock at night or so. and Pick them up. Yeah, there are tons of now, them. Now, I don't know if you know who you're talking to, but <laughs> this is Dave Callum. <laughs> He is the king catfish. He is the New Hampshire state record channel catfish. You do? Right now, yes. How big is it? Uh, It's only like 12 and a half pounds. But but they're not native to New Hampshire. They found their way. The blue blue catfish. No, this is a channel. So you have blue catfish. We get 120 pounds or something in the Mississippi. And I grew up in Indiana, so we we have all the Mississippi fish. Yeah. But these are channel catfish. So these are uh, big fork fork tail, and they only get like 30, 40 pounds. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I've yeah. never said only 30 pounds for a catfish. I've never said the <laughs> word that's only. That's catfish. a very big fish. Well, there's flatheads, too, that get yeah. like 20 pounds. I mean, that's a, big, that's a big fish for any kind of fish. Yeah. So. Exactly. But, yeah, so they're just moving into the state, and uh, that was our last fish in our quest, and it turned out to be a state record. I, oh, talk congratulations. About ex- thank you. Talk about excitement to know that the fish you have on that is going to end this big, long quest is the state record. He was netting it. I was pulling it in. You're like, please, please, don't break. There was was a lot of nerves there. (laughs) It was was. was a two-mile hike out to the spot. It was crazy, but fun. That's why I stopped doing fishing uh, uh, competitions and stuff. You know, like... uh, You fish competitively? No, not really competitively, but we have a, you know... um, Every once in a while, we'd have what we call fishing rodeos, which is... Yeah, that kind of thing. It's a weekend long, and and I've done quite a few of them in my life, but... It was just the anxiety of it all, you know. It's like, oh, because every once in a while I get something on and think, God, you know, this could be it. And well, it levels the pressure up. Yeah, you know? and I don't really need that. Yeah. So, 
Well, yeah. and, and it's interesting. In the beginning, you were talking about fishing as a way to kind of clear your mind because that's all you do is think about the fishing. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that for a long time. And I have a question. So you said you started off singing to support your fishing habit. Um, I know a lot of people, I think we all do, that fish 24-7 all the time, barely have a job because they're out fishing all the time. What's the secret to you to balance that? Because you're highly successful in your career. How do you balance the fish nerd obsession with uh, with actually making a living? <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's just uh, well. Now I have a family, so I have I have three people to support: a wife and two kids. So uh, that and I still love to sing. I love you know. If I wasn't a singer, I'd be some other kind of performer because mm. I just I've always loved to entertain. And I I love to fish, but I'm not sure if I did it every day for a living, it would be as exciting as it is, you know. Lose some magic, maybe? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I still, you know, I don't mind going five or six days in a row. I never, all my friends say, well, I'm too tired to go three days in a row. And I said, no, I'm not. I'll go. I'll go. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, but the problem is that a lot of the fishing I do is, an all-day affair you know i get up at four in the morning and i get home at six or seven at night so yeah it's a and it's pretty exhausting in the summer in louisiana when it's 100 degrees and 95 percent humidity now that and that's tough to do too with the kids too you have to you know when you tailor what you're doing to what your family wants to do and if you're on the road all the time and you come and home, i come home and, and i get straight fishing. my boat and go fishing which i i have done i, know, yes. I bet you have well you know my wife knew this because she was my first mate before we had kids so oh. she went fishing with me a lot and and she knew this when we got together she she had some idea that you know fishing was going to take up a lot of my time mm-hmm. when i was home yeah and because you make a good living it probably it's okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. She doesn't mind. If you're in Louisiana, you know, I can take you fishing. Yeah, I'm well, always looking. I fish so much when I'm home. I'm always looking for people to go with uh, me. We have, oh, nice. I have I have some very good friends who live right down there, and, and uh, we've been pl- working on trying to get a trip another trip down there. And so we will definitely take you up Please. on it. Well, I'll take you guys tuna fishing, too. Oh, it's pretty good. amazing. That would be pretty yeah, Not nice. only do we catch, we catch lots of other fish at the same time. Do you so. bring your kids fishing? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, I, I made sure that my, my daughter caught a, she caught a fish before her first, second birthday yeah, by herself. Yeah. And my brother, I mean, my uh, my son's caught a lot of fish, and he's only, he'll be five in May. Perfect. Yeah, we were out on the boat on Sunday, last Sunday. So. Oh, that's great. We'll come down with our family, our kids are the same age, and we'll have a great time. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's too bad the winter is so weird. We would have taken you ice fishing when you were up here. Yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> I'm not really, I don't think I was prepared for it clothing-wise. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we could have found you something. So. Very good. Paul, thanks so much. Hey, thank you guys. Please, it's been a pleasure. From Symphony Hall in Boston, I'm Ron Delacchiesa. Welcome to a WCRB broadcast of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. BSO welcomes back one of its closest collaborators as Charles Dutrois leads the orchestra in a centennial tribute to French composer Henri Dutrieux, along with two works by Hector Berlioz, including Resurrexit and the dramatic Te Deum. Charles Dutrois conducts music by Dutrieux as well as the Te Deum by Berlioz with tenor Paul Groves, 
Voices Boston, and the Tanglewood Festival Chorus. It's all coming up on this Boston Symphony Orchestra broadcast from WCRB, a part of WGBH Boston. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then afterwards, we got to go on the stage at Symphony Hall <laughs> and, and sing with Paul up in the, on the podium there. <clears throat> Which is great. I mean, for, for opera fans, for singing fans, um, that must have just made their head explode. Uh, it, I, I, I've been showing people who, I, who, are, who are music teachers and stuff, and uh, they're like, wait a minute. So you, <laughs> you, you, you do a, a stupid fishing podcast, and then you... You get invited to go backstage at the at the Boston Symphony. You're you're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it must be like for sports fans to watch a couple of fish nerds shoot hoops with Michael Jordan. I mean, right? Which, by the way, Michael Jordan, if you're listening, yeah, we'll we'll take uh, you as long as you got fish stories to tell. We're in. Yeah, that's right. Well, Michael Keaton apparently is an angler. Really? Yes, he's Batman. Cool. Batman. Batman. Perfect. <laughs> and then also the Fonz. The Fonz and also The Rock. The Rock, yes. And he's actually probably of all those anglers, he's probably the most like us. Really? Yeah. Because we're so tough. Exactly. Exactly. We have the chiseled features of a rock. Um, no, he, he's posted like pictures of like, look at this awesome bluegill I caught kind of thing. Mm. And That's um, true. yeah, so he's down south. I think he has a bunch of ponds on his property. And uh, we, we should try to find The Rock and go fishing with The Rock. We should. So back to back to the symphony. Oh, right, right, right. So great time with Paul. Uh, great. Just a really nice guy. Invite huh. us to go to Louisiana and visit him and go fishing in the oil rigs with him. So we're in on that. Someday, Dave, it's going to happen. Yeah, we just need absolutely. to make a little bit of money first. Right. Um, but so Chris and I went to the show and we sat through the first half and no Paul Groves. We had our break, a glass of wine. Second half. He's on stage. I'm like, I know him. I, I know that guy. I'm like, I want to yell. I'm, and she's like, tell me to shut up. You know, because, you know, nice. I'm like, Paul, Uncle Paul. And she's like, shut up. And then, and then it's like 45 minutes. Nothing happens. There's, you know, music playing. It's all great. Is he but sitting like, up there? Just sitting on stage. <laughs> just sitting in a chair for 45 minutes, not doing anything. Just looking like he's important. Right. <laughs> And then, finally, he stands up. He sings for like six minutes. Yeah. And the show's over. <laughs> he had he got his own dressing room. Yeah, a nice one. And he sang for six minutes. Wow. This guy's a superstar. He is a superstar. Yeah. I mean, that's really like, you know, having Michael Jordan come in and take a shot. Right. <laughs> a, he didn't even sweat. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. And then and then he invited us backstage after the show. And so <sighs> Kristen and I went backstage afterwards, and we got to meet the maestro who had the greatest cartoon hair of all time. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> nice. you know, those people really take like they want to be called maestro. Oh, I called him maestro. Yeah, they take it very seriously. It's, it's a thing. Uh, yeah, that's good. I'm glad you did that. Yeah, I was following Paul's lead. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Uh, so, which is also good because I would not have been able to say the maestro's name. <laughs> that's probably why they call him maestro. I know. I just wanted to go, man, your hair is fabulous. This is the greatest <laughs> hair I've ever seen in my life. You know. And, I'm, and I'm, by the way, I'm jealous of anyone who has hair on top of it. <laughs> right. Right. But this was outstanding hair. It was insane. Oh, so. okay. Yeah, but anyway, great time with Paul. Uh, if you haven't been to the Boston Symphony, uh, bring your wife. Yes. Or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whoever it is. Bring someone. Bring it. It's a good date night. Yeah. And really cool thing about it, Dave, I was shocked by this. We spent a lot of time thinking about what to wear. Kristen made me buy a new suit and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you really can wear anything. Really? Like there, there were people with jeans and T-shirts all the way through like crazy white, sh- uh, white suits and Timberland boots, you know, really huh. urban, like really urban looking, like rapper looking people through like hoity-toity people wearing tuxedos, like and, and everything in between. Wow. So interesting. You really can. It's accessible. Uh, if as long as you got 120 bucks for tickets, it's accessible. Right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, an interesting time. Uh uh, you know, I'm glad our tickets were free because I don't know how to pay that kind of money for tickets to things. But um, we had a good time. That's and great. I, and I and, my, and Kristen was impressed with me <laughs> because we had this kind of unfettered access. I know. Place. Yeah, kind of rock, rock star stuff. Big big win for the fish nerds. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, cannot thank Sam and um, Paul enough. It was just yeah. really wonderful. <laughs> So that is it. You have listened to a couple of fish nerds when you could have been fishing. <clears throat> We'd like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast and go on fishing quests and do all sorts of silly things that middle-aged guys do. Special thanks to Sam and Paul Groves. <laughs> And follow the code of the fish nerds. Code of the fish nerds. Code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. Avoid free lunches with strings attached. Swim against the current. Every chance you get. Uh, let's try to harmonize. Get. get. That was beautiful. Thank you. That's perfect. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Dave. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. Bye.